in Romans 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So let's back up just a little bit here. Remember Paul here teaching us that we have no condemnation in Christ because obviously Christ took our sins So and every one of our sins, so there's not even one condemnation in Christ. Um, this chapter here is showing us, um, displaying to us the, the spirit, the pneuma of God. It, actually, we could get the word uh, breath comes out of that, or where we get our word pneumonia. Uh, but it's the spirit of God. And this is his ministry. Remember I said he mentioned 22 times in this chapter. Um, we see that he, he makes men and women alive. We see that's his, his ministry is to come sent from the Father and the Son and to come to the elect and make them alive. Regenerate them. Give them faith and repentance to believe upon Christ. And then um, we saw last week <clears throat> uh, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Remember I, I brought out how the, how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit is by pointing us to Christ and showing us that it's not our works by which we're saved. It's not our works by which we're the children of God. It's not our works by which we can rest and have our assurance in. It's Christ's works. And the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He, he regenerates you and He bears witness with your spirit by pointing us to Christ and His finished work upon the cross. And then we dealt with it a little bit with sufferings, and we saw that we were fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and we saw our inheritance as believers in that. And now this week, we're going to see a little bit more suffering. In verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. So the first point, I have three points. The present suffering of the saints. The future glorification of the saints and the suffering servant glorified. So the first point here is present suffering of the saints. Let us remember who wrote these words and who they are written to. This is the Apostle Paul who history tells us was beheaded by a Roman, namely Nero. He was writing to those who were in Rome who were no doubt being persecuted for their faith also. The Apostle Paul, persecuted for his faith, ends up getting beheaded by a Roman. And he's writing to the Romans who are being persecuted also. And the Apostle Paul is saying that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. So in case we think Paul was naive about suffering, let's see this. Turn, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians 11 and verse 22. This is the Apostle Paul again. He said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. What's he doing here? He's pointing to his roots. 
He was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He said, Are they the servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers. How many times have we been beaten times without numbers? Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aurelius, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Do you think Paul knew suffering? This brother suffered firsthandly. He suffered all the time. You see all that right there. Dangers in this, dangers in that, dangers in this. Beaten times without number. He was, he was five times beaten with the rod from the Jews. Thirty-nine times. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee too before his conversion. Before he embraced Christ, he was a Pharisee. Which was the te- one of, that, that was the teacher of the Jews. And then he's converted to Christ and then he was beaten by the Jews. He left it all to follow Christ. He left everything to follow Christ. Remember him in Philipp- Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He lost everything. He suffered. He lost everything. He was beaten. They were trying to murder him. That's what he was talking about when he was let down out of the window. They were seeking to murder him, and they let him down out of the window so he can escape being murdered. He lost it all, but what did he gain? Not the world. He gained Christ. He lost that which he could not keep and gained that which he could not lose. Paul knew sufferings. He was well acquainted with them and far greater than what we have experienced. I don't think, if you read 2 Corinthians 11 right there, I don't really have any of this stuff that Paul went through. But he went through all of it. And yet he can still say that this is true. That the, the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to glory. He could say it with confidence and complete confidence to a people who were also suffering 
they were part of a very pagan nation. So Paul went through all this suffering. He's speaking to a people who are also suffering. They were part of a very pagan nation that was involved in all kinds of worship. But most prominently, Caesar worship. Not the salad. They were most prominently Caesar worshipers there in Rome. And the thing about Caesar worship was that if he demanded you to proclaim that Caesar was Lord and you didn't, they could kill you. Or have you killed? You know one thing about the false gods we have today, right? Somebody says Allah is God, and I say no he's not, guess what? Allah can't do anything to me. Because Allah is not real. When they come around and say, say Caesar is Lord, and you say no, Jesus is Lord, the Caesar can kill you. Because he was real. He wasn't curious like Jesus is, the Lord, but he's real, and he could kill you. And that's Paul's audience. <laughs> Paul, who went through all this suffering, writing to people who are going through all this suffering, that's his audience. We don't so much have that audience today here, do we? Praise God. But the people of God have almost always suffered. T turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We'll see a little bit more of this. Hebrews 11 and verse 36. Hebrews 11.36 And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went into sheepskin, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Doesn't sound like modern day Christianity, does it? Here. Praise God though that it's not here. But it's other places in the world. It's still here on the earth. There's still persecution. There's still people being, being cut with a sword, being stoned, being sawn, and, sawn asunder is what the KJV says. Sawn in two. This stuff still does happen, but thank God this doesn't happen in America. The saints have suffered throughout history, but notice something about this suffering right here in Hebrews 11. Look back up to verse 25 and 26. This is Moses' mindset through suffering. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So he chose suffering. He chose it. Moses was practicing what we see in actually, if you look at Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside, let us also lay aside 
every incumbrance, encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our of faith, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Moses was practicing this in the Old Covenant. Back in Exodus, yes, Christians suffer, but we know what's on the other side. So this present suffering doesn't compare to glory. That's what he says. Let's look at another portion of Scripture on this. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 17. For momentary, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The same guy that just wrote in perils, shipwrecked, Troubles here, troubles here, danger here, danger there. I was almost killed. I had to be let down out of a basket so I wouldn't be killed. It says, momentary light affliction. It's the same guy. You see the comparison here too in this text? He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. You see the comparison? is light affliction versus a weight of glory. Your temporary light afflictions and sufferings don't tip the scale when you put the weight of glory on the other side. So yes, brethren, you will have afflictions, tribulations, sufferings here, but in them, praise God. You can't help think about, but think about Job here, right? After Job lost everything. It's hard to think about sufferings in the scriptures and not think about Job. He lost everything. Ten kids. All his livestock. Everything. Gone. And it says, and Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Is that what we do? When that suffering comes? fall to the ground and worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin nor did he blame God. This is Job after losing everything. After he's lost everything, this is what he says. So we should examine ourselves and see if that would be the same for us. Let's move on here. Second point. Future glorification of the saints. It was present suffering of the saints. Now it's future glorification of the saints. We have sufferings. But remember last week that they are with Christ. Our sufferings are with Christ. That's what it says. It says our sufferings were with Christ and will be glorified with Him. If we're a fellow heir, which also meant with Him. You aren't suffering alone and your suffering is light compared to the glory that is to be revealed in or to us. What is this talking about glory revealed? Well, speaking of heaven. I think we figured that out without me having to tell you that. 
We'll, we'll look at that here in a second, but let me rabbit trail here for a minute. In this world, there is suffering. The godly know that their suffering is for a reason. But we also know that our suffering will end. There will be suffering here, and you know that your suffering is for a reason, and when you're suffering, what does it do? It makes you look to Christ. But we also know that this suffering will end one day when we're with him in his presence. But imagine with me for a second. This is my little rabbit trail here. Imagine being an atheist and thinking that's all there is. The atheist, the one that says there is no God, you are born into a dying world, you suffer through this life, and you die and become worm food, and that's it. What kind of hope is there in that? Why even have funerals? That doesn't make sense to me. If you're just worm food anyways, just dig a hole and throw the body in it. Why do anything? Life is meaningless without God. We're just big bags of mostly water, right? Or just mature primordial soup. There's no soul. There's no life after. Meaning that those men or women who have tortured people their whole lives and then commit suicide, they get no justice. No justice is not put on them. What a dark, horrible world to live in. However, that's not the real world. That's not the world we live in. Those that deny God do so to their own peril. They know God exists and they suppress Him. We live in a world that was created by a sovereign God. It's a world in which true justice will take place. It's a world where suffering actually has meaning. And not only that, we know that suffering came from something and is leading to something. We'll see some of that in the coming verses. However, this glory that it's talking about that we are headed towards is the eternal state of perfection. That age in which no more sin and suffering will take place. That age in which no more loved ones will die. That age in which we'll be praising our King in all, his, all perfections without the distractions of this day. That age in which we hope for is when we're back to paradise. Adam fell and paradise was lost. Christ redeemed and paradise is being restored. Adam brought about the curse and the suffering. Christ reversed the curse and gives us glory. This is why your suffering is meaningful as a Christian. It's a reminder that we live in a fallen world, but also a reminder that this isn't it. That we are headed for something better, for eternal life and no suffering. Let's peek a little bit into this eternal life or glory here. Look, turn with me to Luke 6. Luke 6, 23. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets, there will be rewards in heaven. Your reward will be great in heaven. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 
1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. We shall be like him. We have great rewards, it says, and we shall be like him. Turn up a little bit just to Jude. Verse 24. Now to him, that's all my God, him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. We will be blameless and have great joy. We'll have great rewards. We'll, have, we'll be like him and we'll have, be blameless and have exceeding joy. But here's most of all. We will truly be quorum Dea, living face to face with God. We'll have what's called a beatific vision. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 16, who alone, talking about God, possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What does it say? It says, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. But it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I also have been fully known. So you go from no man has seen nor can see to one day we will see face to face. That's that day in glory. This is how you actually, you, can, you know that like Joseph Smith was alive. He said the Lord appeared to him. He saw him face to face. You can't. The scriptures tell us you can't. But one day we will, brethren. It won't be here. It'll be in glory. We will see him. We follow now him who we cannot see. But when we're there, we'll see him face to face. Just the thought of that should take away any sufferings that we have. That's what, that's what Paul's teaching us here. This thought should take away our sufferings. If you're suffering, you look to Christ and your sufferings should go away. They're light in comparison to that day when we see him face to face. Now let me tie all this together. So we had the, the, the present sufferings of the saints. We had future glorification of the saints. And now we have the suffering servant glorified. He ties this together, the suffering servant. This suffering isn't unique to us. We suffer because Christ suffered. Being taken to glory isn't unique either. We are taking the glory because we're in Him and we go to be with Him. However, He purchased all this. Let's see this suffering servant. Turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. 
verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He, y'all know who he is. Christ, the Messiah, is talking about the Messiah. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising Chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He would see, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 22. That's such a blessed chapter of scripture there, right? Luke 22 and verse 37. The suffering servant. Many title that chapter Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Luke 22, 37. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Isaiah 53, that's what he points to right there. He says, it it's, must be fulfilled in me. And then he says, that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Where is it fulfilled? Where is Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, fulfilled? It's fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Turn to Mark 15. In verse 21. Sorry, we're flipping around a lot here, but 
And they pressed into, a, into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they, and they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Same scripture, Isaiah 53. And those passing by were hurling abuse in, at him, wagging their heads, saying, Ha, ah, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him along, mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insults at him. And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when some of the passerbys heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled his sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We see it right there. Isaiah 53 fulfilled right here. It's fulfilled in, in the crucifixion of our Lord. If you remember back there in Isaiah 53, he said, and he will bear the transgression of many. And he did. So now where we're, we're at, where, where are we at? We're with the suffering servant is dead. Which means what? He's not suffering anymore. He endured the cross, despising the shame. The Messiah has been murdered. He was made sin for us who knew no sin and crushed him in our place. You think your sufferings are great? The Son of God had the wrath of the Father for your sins poured out upon him. There could be no greater suffering. Yet he took it willingly and he took it quietly. No complaining to God, simply carrying his cross and suffering upon it. Let's also notice that his suffering was far greater than anything that we've ever faced. He suffered, yes. He suffered far greater than anything that we have ever faced. You have not suffered the wrath of God for your sins. If you had, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Oftentimes, we don't even suffer the wrath of man for our sins. Men applaud our sins. They enjoy us sinning. The writer of Hebrews says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And that was to the first century church who suffered more than we do. 
you Christian living in 21st century America, you barely suffer at all in comparison to Christ's suffering. His suffering was great. He sweat drops of blood. Have we ever done that? He had his beard plucked out. He had a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. He had his flesh ripped off. And he was nailed to a cross. And all of that pales in comparison to when the Father showed up in his wrath, when darkness came, and, and for those three hours the wrath of God was poured out upon him for the sins of the elect. While he was crushing him there. Those very sins that you might be thinking about right now were placed upon him. Those very sins that you may be doing right now were placed upon him if you're one of his elect. The son took them upon himself, but praise God, that wasn't the end of the story for him or us, right? A dead savior is no savior. If it was it when he was in the grave, that it was over and that, that's it, he never came out of the grave, a dead Savior is no Savior. We have no hope. He went from suffering to glory. Just as Paul is teaching us in this verse 18 of Romans. It says, He, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, He, in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and are under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He went from sufferings to glorification. He went from humility to exaltation. He went from sufferings to a crown. He went from this lowly planet here to glory. And when this king here... King Jesus, enter glory, the angels proclaim, who is this king of glory? Those same angels who in his presence cover their faces and they cover their feet and they praise him everlasting for every single second, ever since they've been created, stand before his throne praising his name. Holy, holy, holy. They saw him humbled, broken, suffering, and now exalted. And their response is what ours should be. Unbroken worship. This news should cause you to want to break forth in praises of our king who has defeated death by death and rose from the grave. And is exalted to the right hand of the, of the Father where he makes intercession for you right now, Christian. If it doesn't make you want to worship, if it doesn't make something swell up inside of you that makes you want to repeat the words of Isaiah when he says, here I am, Lord, send me. If it doesn't want to make you break out in song, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't actually believe this truth. Maybe you need to be born again. 
Because a regenerate heart desires more worship, more praises to Him, more of Him and less of us. Can you say this? Now to sum this doctrinal portion up, Christian, you will suffer, but your sufferings are light, even if you see them heavy in comparison to the weight of glory. However, we have one who went through this suffering before us and even greater sufferings than you could go through. He has lived and died under suffering, but he has risen and ascended where he makes intercession for you in your suffering. And as we saw last week, even when we are suffering, he is suffering, he is in our sufferings with us. Just as he will be in glory with us since we are fellow heirs with him. Amen. Let's move on to application. I call to faith and repentance it's to the unbeliever. I was just addressing you. You have no reason to rest here today if you don't know Christ. This shouldn't be a, a fun time. This shouldn't be a time that, that I can just sit back and relax and rest if you don't know Christ. The truth of the gospel has been proclaimed and if you don't embrace it, it will only serve to increase your judgment. You've been given greater light Yet sit and ignore it. You're in danger of hellfire. Yet Christ died for the sins of his people and rose for their justification. He fulfilled the law that you continually break. And yet you still stand guilty today because you've rejected him. Today is the day to believe upon him. God gave you this day to believe upon him and repent of your sins. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't wait. Believe upon him who is risen and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Today, right now. And to the believers here. Notice Paul in Romans 8.18 says, his first words, For I consider. For I consider. This is thoughtful, thoughtful for him. It was thoughtful. It was something that he actually thought about. Uh, KJV says, I reckon. It's, it's to weigh it in the balances, right? It's to reason. I consider that these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It was thoughtful. Which applied to us should be the same. It takes thoughtfulness to realize and recognize that our current sufferings, whatever they may be, is light compared to the weight of glory. It takes you engaging your mind to actually believe this. And not just believe it out here somewhere about somebody else. You're like, yes, I believe that. But it's about this person over here in China or, or Africa or somewhere else. Consider it for yourself. Believe it about yourself and your situation, no matter the suffering. Paul, notice, there's no asterisks there when he says, For I consider that these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's no asterisk right there, and you turn to the back of the book and it says, 
well, this only applies to certain people. This applies to all Christians everywhere through all sufferings. And we're called to believe it. Can you imagine if we lived like that? Suffering, like, it doesn't matter. I'm still moving forward. Praise God. Would you imagine if we could, we could say like Job? I'll tell you what. It seems that those who suffer the least actually complain the most. Those that suffer most, maybe they just get used to it or something. But they are typically more full of joy than those who suffer the least. You know what it is? Is gratitude. Things could be worse. And the worst that this world has to offer is the best to us, Christian. It's to send us home. The worst thing that can happen to you in this world is the best thing that can happen to us as a Christian. Is to send us home. Be thoughtful, Christian, about your suffering. And when it comes, don't complain. And keep going about being grateful that Christ is with you in suffering and has conquered suffering for you. Believe that, Christians. And repent of your false thinking that God is not with you, that God must not care, that God doesn't hear your prayers, that you're afflicted more than somebody else. We all have sufferings to a certain degree. Some may seem more, some less. Use your sufferings as a tool to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our call to war here. If we are called to suffer, if it's actually a gift, as the text tells us, then why not lay down more of your life today? You're already called to suffer, and your suffering is a gift. So lay down more of your life. You know what that means? Maybe, instead of spending two or three hours watching something that means nothing for all of eternity, you take that time to speak to somebody about Christ. You take that time to teach your, your children or your, your friends or your family members or your spouse about Christ. We don't have that long here, brethren. Though I know we act like this isn't true. The scriptures tell us we ought to be redeeming the times. That's what we're commanded to do. Use your time wisely. Don't waste it. God gave it to you. Be a good steward of time. Lay down more of your life. Your life is made up of time. Use it for His glory. Also, though we live in a world that suffers, we're headed to glory. Shouldn't we be preparing ourselves for it? I don't mean working to get there, but rather working because we're going there. Not focusing on our sufferings, but focusing on Him and glory to which we are headed. Do you think if Christ was our focus nonstop all day long, we wouldn't be preaching more? We wouldn't be praying more? We wouldn't be giving more? We wouldn't be serving more? If Christ was always on our minds... It would be impossible to be truly gospel-minded and neglect those things. 
So you know the, you know the saying, too much heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's <laughs> just a stupid statement somebody made up. Jesus was no doubt more heavenly minded than all of us, right? And John said he did so many good works that if they were all written down, the earth wouldn't be able to contain all the books. Be more heavenly minded. You do know that's where most of our battle, our battle is in this life anyways, is in our heads. It's in our minds. Keep your eyes fixed on him and the sufferings of this present life will be nothing to you and you'll lay down more of your life for him. You cannot look at the beauties and glories of Christ and be lazy. So let's gird up the loins of our minds and go to war for him. Take control of your thoughts and focus them on him for his glory. You'll be in glory soon. So don't let the sufferings of this world sidetrack you, brethren. Amen.